Hello and thank you for joining us for episode 10, part 1 of our three-week series called We Are the Church. This series has a compact theme, and it simply asks the question, what is the purpose of the local church? By calling out the selfish deceitfulness of consumerism, this sermon series defines what church is supposed to be and declares what it is not. The church is a place to serve, to be connected, and to live on mission for God's kingdom. And so our text this week is going to be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Again, the text is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Many of you probably know this bit of scripture. It's the one body with many parts section. And it says this, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the one whole body, so that it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share in that same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not the hand, that does not make it any less of a part of the body. If the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, what would that make it any less? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part simply where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it was only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Verse 21. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, and the parts we regard to as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. The body together makes up such an honor and care, and those are given parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for one another. If one part suffers, they all suffer with it, and if one part is honored, they all are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And that wraps up our uh, text uh, in this podcast. Richard B. Hayes once said in his moral vision of the New Testament, the church embodies the power of the resurrection in the midst of a not-so-yet-redeemed world. And really, this is the main point of the text. And Paul would also tell us that the part of it is that we're all together doing good and doing something for the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that the believers of the church are uh, not really uh, partaking in a popularity contest or followers of Jesus can't compromise when it comes to things like core principles and worship gatherings or loving one another or celebrating the resurrection, or sexual integrity. But really what it is, is we have the ability to love each other and love uh, ourselves, and the ultimate hope for victory over death when we do it corporately as the church. Our belief that Jesus was raised from the dead makes the gospel more than moral advice or a receipt for private spirituality. It opens a whole new reality for every area of our life.
And that gives us really kind of a few topics to talk about. Uh, First is serving, or we could talk about spiritual laziness or pride, or even talk about spiritual gifts. Um, One thing that's usually helpful when you go looking into 1 Corinthians is if you know what spiritual gifts uh, you rank high in and which ones you rank low in, um, you can go uh, Google search spiritual gift testings and you can find really what you are pretty easy. But the big idea of this message is Paul explains that in the body of Christ, everyone has a role and no role is too small. All believers should actively seek to serve the body in Christ and we must serve and not sit. Um, It was once said that really Jesus dying, what did that accomplish? Did he save us just simply that we can be saved from hell? Uh, Or is it that he saved us so that we can do something? And I like to believe that it's the latter of those two, that Jesus died for us so that we can do something, uh, so that we can be a part of the body and, and change the world literally where we live. And so one of the things that's interesting, though, is American culture. And in an article that I found by Consumer Reports, it stated that one out of 10 Americans said that they would not give up their Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts habit, even if their income dropped dramatically in a bad economy. Uh, Thankfully for me, I married a Starbucks barista, and we can make all of the Starbucks drinks at home. But uh, even if I did have to shell out five bucks a day, uh, many coffee lovers out there like me would have a hard time dropping it. But according to the same article, one survey found that Americans hold tightest, though, not of coffee, but actually at their at-home entertainment. When asked, what is the last thing you would cut back on in order to uh, make a better budget, 38% of people said that they would never ditch paying television, including premium cable, satellite, or streaming services like Hulu and Netflix. Our consumer-driven mindset has blurred the lines of necessity and luxury on these kinds of comforts. And many people wouldn't argue with that. People in our country like to be able to spend on themselves. I mean, it is nice to treat yourselves every once in a while, right? But the common attitude is my comfort is the number one priority often. And if we're not careful, though, this kind of mentality can really creep into our churches, and it can creep into our devotional lives as well. We unknowingly can become me and Jesus, and that's it. And I'll explain this a little bit more. But the reality is our individualistic assumption can influence our reading of Scripture too, like whenever we look at 1 Corinthians. In Western culture, the decision to become a Christian is personal, and it's an individual decision often. Uh, But in the East or collectivist societies, conversion or coming to Christ is often not an individual experience. In the East, often whole families and tribes come to know Christ all at once. And this is made more difficult because the concept of family in the West is also constrictive. It usually includes only our parents or our children or our select next of kin. We seem to be happiest when we can choose the people we identify with as family. In the East, it's a little different as well. It's based upon bloodline. So once the relationship is determined, culture then outlines the expectations and obligations of each member. My question is, does this sound familiar? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is huge on this. We get the idea of what we call the family of God. For Jesus, family is not only designated by your immediate biological relatives, but includes all of people who are knit together in faith. 
Uh, and this is just larger than the Methodist and the Baptist and the Pentecostal. Back to our last series that included the rich young ruler. Remember the question that he asked? He asked, who truly is my neighbor? Jesus' reply was this. It's the person in front of you. And this way of thinking about the church is really challenging to us, if we're honest. Many times we might joke that, well, you can't choose your family. But we all know that you can choose your church family. In the West, church is considered a voluntary association. People simply can freely join or freely leave. They don't have to take on any certain responsibilities. And they can do this by their choosing. What can be scary about this is that we can become part of a church family, but our identity or behavior is not determined by that group. Simply, our talk doesn't match our walk. Church can become this. It can become, if they provide the services I want, I'll stick around. If not, I'm out the door. If I'm being fed, hey, I'll stick around. If the preacher has a great sermon, or if the lighting's just right, or if it's comfortable, or if they sing the right worship, I'll stay. But the truth is, this is not the definition of biblical Christianity. Scripture is clear that when we become Christians, we become part of his church. We become a member of the family of God, with all the expectations and responsibilities that world connotates in a non-Western world. You see, we are bound together by spirit. This is because we are made one with Christ. And this is also why Paul uses the metaphor of the body to emphasize to all the other parts that they belong to one another and they depend on each other. The key to understanding this is the word we. You see, us or together or the church has to be really at the forefront of everything we read in the gospel. It's really not about me. Also note that most often when the Bible says you, remember that most of the letters, whether they be poetry or discourse, are written to a group. So almost assume it means plural, not singular. So in the South, we would just take out all the me's and put y'all, and that would actually be more appropriate. And really this concept between individualism and collectivism is huge. So I hope that, one, this has made sense, and two, whenever you're reading Scripture, that it really becomes alive in the fact that we're so drawn into community with one another and it's so important for us to be with one another, learning, uh, challenging one another, uh, and also growing so that we can grow together in Christ. D.L. Moody once said, What makes the dead see dead? It's because it's all the time receiving but never giving out anything. And if we're not careful, our Christian life can actually be the very same thing. Because sometimes, if we're honest, we're receiving a lot, but not giving out much. It was also said in an article for Leadership Journal, Amy Simpson expands on this idea that service sometimes stems from selfishness. She writes, but sometimes serving others is really about serving ourselves. And that's when codependency enters the picture. People who are codependent serve to meet their own emotional need and desire. They serve whether others really want to be served or not. They serve in ways that keep the people around them from growing, changing, or thriving. They serve and serve and serve long past the point of health and true effectiveness because they are addicted to what serving others gives them, a sense of value, uh, a preservation of the status quo, or uh, dependency in others. 
And so really the first uh, question we're going to ask is how often do we do this or are we guilty of this? Do we serve others to make ourselves feel good or do we do them truly to serve and honor God? So I want you to think in terms of whatever context you have. In what areas could you become involved or serve? Or what areas are you currently serving in? And actually, how could you, first of all, look at them with a more collaborative, collectivist mindset uh, instead of just what I can do or what I can offer? Maybe think of a new way to get involved this week uh, that you might find challenging. I know this year, as we are really on the beginning of Lent, which will start uh, March 6th, um, this is a great time to actually uh, look at doing something. Um, I know a lot of people for Lent will actually give up something, but uh, what we've actually always tried to do in our house is try to add something of value, uh, maybe something that was missing or something that maybe has been neglected for a little while. Uh, but it can be, uh, maybe it could be feeding the homeless uh, once a week, or um, it could be uh, taking care of the of uh, the nursery at your church. Or maybe it's uh, starting up a prayer ministry to pray for the lay leadership team. Or maybe it's just hopping on the phone and calling uh, a bunch of members of your church to encourage them throughout the week. I don't know what it could be in your context, but just try to get creative and think of ways that you could greater serve the body and make it about the whole and not the individual. So my question to you is, what is one thing that stood out to you from this week's podcast. The second is what metaphor does Paul use to explain the different role of believers? Of course, this concept of the body with many parts. There's a lot to really digest and look through there. And in your uh, mindset, uh, how is this metaphor helpful or not helpful in your understanding of the role of the church? Is there anything you find difficult with this passage that maybe you have questions about? Are you sensing God calling you to serve in a local church in any capacity? And I think the last question we have to wrestle with is really what's holding us back from serving how we would like to serve. I know this is just week one of week three, and I hope that you've enjoyed just kind of this opening dialogue of uh, our podcast this week. Um. Again, just remember that uh, we are the church together, uh, united, and uh, may God do something great through your ministry and your life this week. God bless.